Well, good evening, everyone. It's good to have you here for our evening service. Uh, tonight, I'd ask that you join with me in turning to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we have been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, specifically the Beatitudes of Christ, and they're listed here in Matthew chapter 5. And tonight, we'll be focusing on verse number 5 here in a message that I've entitled, Meek, Not Weak. Meek, not weak. As we've worked our way through the Beatitudes, I hope that you've seen a steady progression up to this point. I mentioned earlier that each of the Beatitudes will build upon each other, and they have to go in order. There's a reason it starts with the poor in spirit there in verse number three, and it builds from that point forward. When a person is saved, God first reveals to that person the absolute poverty of his spirit. God has to show us how empty we are, essentially breaking everyone down and breaking down our pride and humbling us. And then he causes us to mourn over our deficiencies that we are suddenly aware of. Because most everyone before they were saved thought they were good enough, thought they were doing at least okay on their own. But it all starts with the true knowledge of ourselves, which as it is that we are helplessly lost without Christ, that if there is going to be any salvation, it is going to be all of Christ, and he is everything to us, and then we're able to mourn over that spiritual poverty. And no one can truly become biblically meek, as we'll talk about tonight, until he first understands his true condition, which is poor in spirit, and then mourns over the fact that he is not living up to God's standard in his life. Meekness is not being self-righteous. And the person who is proud of himself will often be hard-hearted in all of his dealings with other people. But to get to this step of the ladder, which is step number three, you have to step on the first two first. You have to go through being poor in spirit. You have to mourn over your condition before you get to this third beatitude, which is meekness. Poverty of spirit and mourning of heart must first be present in order for anyone to ever be, uh, be the gracious picture of meekness of which the Bible speaks of here. And it's worth noting that there is also a difference when we come to this third beatitude for where the first two dealt with more of a negative. This one, because I mean, poor and mourning are not necessarily positives, but we think of them more as negatives. This third beatitude is dealing with more of a positive where the first two were expressing a deficiency of some kind, this third beatitude is actually expressing something being supplied to us. A man who is poor in spirit is recognizing, recognizing that he is lacking quite a bit. Uh, the one who mourns is lamenting over the state of that poverty. But now as we talk about those who are meek, something is given. And by the grace of God, and it's not a negative quality, but it's a positive proof of the working of the Holy Spirit within the life of the believer, which causes him to become meek. The first two have to do with the believer relating to himself. And this third one, primarily meekness, has to do with our relationship with others. There is an aspect that deals with the believer's relationship to God as well, but primarily meekness, as we are going to talk about it here tonight, has to deal with our relationship with fellow believers and with other people. So think about it. The only way that you can determine whether a person is meek or not is by seeing how they are with other people. Therefore, this third beatitude has greater implications than the first two, as you would expect since it is building off of the first two. 
But remember that I said that as much as we're climbing up that ladder, as much as we're building up, we're ascending, but also descending the same time. With the first beatitude, the believer is poor in spirit. That is low. He's as low as you can get. In the second beatitude, the believer, I shouldn't say as low as he can get, because the one who is mourning is now one step lower than the one who is poor in spirit. And now when the believer expresses this continued mindset beyond himself to all the other relationships in his life, which is how we get to one being meek, this meekness causes him to be lower than even where he was before. So if you can see the picture, we're ascending, but we're also descending. You're poor in spirit. I know I'm holding it up high, but it's starting off pretty low. You're getting lower by mourning. You're getting even lower by making yourself meek, but essentially you're submitting yourself to everyone else that's around you. So there's this aspect of, of ascending as well as descending at the same time. So the more we're climbing up this ladder, the more the believer is actually getting low. Believers are rising with spiritual exaltation while we're sinking in personal submission. So think of it that way, rising spiritually, but sinking in personal submission. So as we look here at Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 5, I want you to notice first, who are the meek? Who are the meek? Look at what it says here in Matthew 5 verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Who are the meek? One man has said regarding meekness, he said, meekness, let's admit it. We don't like the word. It tastes insipid. It smells like morning breath. It has the strength of a crooked or a cooked noodle. Coaches don't rally teams with meekness. Executives don't send salespeople out into the field with meekness. Politicians don't promise to lead by meekness. Parents don't counsel their children on how to develop meekness. Generals don't embolden their troops in battle with a speech on being meek. You won't find anyone offering seminars on meekness training. It probably should be examined by the House Committee on, Amer on Un-American Activities, is what this one person had to say about it. Now, that is certainly an interesting perspective, but from the world standpoint, there's a lot of truth to what this person has said with regards to meekness. Meekness is not looked upon as a desirable quality. Bible commentator William Barclay offers some similar sentiments on meekness. He says, to modern ears, the word meekness describes weak, flabby, milk and water, spineless creatures, lacking all virility, submissive and subservient to a fault, unable to stand up for himself or for anyone else. But that is far from the original meaning of the word. The meaning of the word is so great and so comprehensive that it almost defies translation. You see, the world has defined meekness one way and has changed the meaning of the word into an entirely negative quality, so much so that meekness no longer seems like the American way. The American way is to be tough. It's to be a go-getter. It's to be persistent. It's to be hardworking. It's to do whatever is necessary for you to get ahead, not to be quiet, not to be submissive, not to allow everyone else to pass you by or even to walk all over you. That's the world's view of meekness, but the true biblical view of meekness is actually so much different. Biblical meekness is about being submissive to God. Whatever God wills is what the meek person desires. The story is told of a shepherd whom a local doctor once inquired. He said, what kind of weather will we have tomorrow? This is the doctor asking. Well, replied the shepherd, we will have the sort of weather that pleases me. The doctor then asked, what do you mean? And the shepherd answered, the weather that pleases God always pleases me. 
But shepherd, said the doctor, your lot seems somewhat hard. Oh, no, sir, said the shepherd. I don't think so, for it abounds with mercies. But you have to work very hard, do you not? Yes, he answered. There is a good deal of labor, but that is better than being lazy. But don't you have to endure many hardships, the man said. Oh, yes, sir, he said, a great many. But then I don't have as many temptations as those people who live in the midst of the towns, and I have more time for meditating upon my God. So I am perfectly satisfied that where God has placed me is the best position that I could be in. Those who are truly meek, they don't argue and complain against God because they're content that where God has them and they're content with what God has given them. They don't complain that God is keeping them in a place that they don't want to be. They don't talk as if God is treating them unfairly. If, he is, uh, if, if he's uh, showing favor to someone else and not showing favor to them, putting it simply, they don't rebel against God and consider God to be difficult. They don't open their mouths and complain because they understand that God is the one who is ultimately in control and he does what he chooses. And when the meek person does end up opening his mouth, it is to ask God for more grace that God may be glorified by how he responds to the trial that he's currently dealing with. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul did in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 9 where he said this. He said, and he said unto me, this is Paul talking about his thorn in the flesh. So he's talking as he's sought God out three times to remove it. And he's saying as far as what God has said to him in response to God, he, as response to him crying out to God to remove it. He says of God, he says, And God said unto me, Christ said, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The meek person finds joy no matter where God has him, leads him, or brings him. Now, there are several characteristics of meekness that I'd like to point out to you as we still look at who are the meek. Now, notice first that meekness requires a flexibility to God's word. Meekness requires a flexibility to God's word. Again, it says in verse number five, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness requires flexibility to God's word. Those who are meek are always willing to bend to God's word. There are some people that are so stubborn. Even when the Bible flat out calls them wrong, they are still going to try to wiggle their way out of what they're doing or what they're saying or where they're going. Many people will approach the Bible with what they believe to be a truth because they read it by some scholar and some theologian that they admire. And then they'll come to Scripture and it doesn't line up. And so they'll try and twist and mangle Scripture to make it fit with this preconceived notion that they read about, even though it's not actually explicitly spoken of there in Scripture. The meek person doesn't decide what is truth until he reads God's word and doesn't allow other books, theologians, or authors to sway his thinking. The meek person will have the Bible as his final proof text and will always have the Bible be the end-all, be-all to everything. The meek person approaches the Bible understanding that it is God's holy word, which no other book can lay claim of. That the Bible is the source of all truth and echoes the sentiment that is found in Psalm 119, verse 18, which hopefully you read Psalm 119 yesterday. It's part of your Bible reading if you're keeping up with the Psalms. But Psalm 119, verse 18 says, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. When the meek person comes across a teaching that is in opposition to what he believes, 
He yields himself up by the Holy Spirit, and he prays for God to teach him in the right way. When the meek person finds any instruction in God's word, he seeks to obey it and to do it right away. When the meek person, he finds this, he doesn't fuss about whether it is important to him, whether he deems it necessary, whether it will impact uh, anything, he is just going to obey it right away. He simply does as God instructs. The meek person loves God so much that he desires to obey God even in the smallest little matter. For he understands that even in the least commandment from God, it was given out of a desire for God who loves every single one of us. So he follows God implicitly. He is a flexibility to God's word. But second, meekness requires humility. Meekness requires humility. Now, meekness, as I mentioned earlier, mostly relates to our relationships with others. And this requires humility. The meek person will come alongside a fellow believer to be an encouragement to them. The meek person knows that the best of men are men at best. And he doesn't even make the claim to be one of the best men. The meek person identifies more with the words of the Apostle Paul from Ephesians 1 verse 8 where he says this. He says, unto me who am less than the least of all saints. Imagine that. The Apostle Paul says, I am the least of all saints. If there was a chart and a ranking of all the saints, he says, my name would be at the very bottom of that list. The Apostle Paul, the one who's responsible through the Holy Spirit to have written half of the New Testament. He says, count me as one of the least of all saints. Therefore, the meek person doesn't expect to have the best position in the church or the seat of honor at any sort of function, but is quite content being out of the spotlight, if that's his lot, passing completely unnoticed. He understands that whatever God calls him to do, it's never about him and would rather people focus on the grace and the glory and the wonder-working power of God than to give him any sort of attention and recognition. He doesn't want it to even come across that he thinks of himself as superior to others. And even if he is highly favored of God, he makes it a point to never boast in the fact that he's highly favored so that someone else doesn't think that, well, he's just boasting that he's favored of God and knows that I'm not. The more he is blessed by God, the more he feels that sense of responsibility to God. And that's not out of obligation, but it's out of a love that God has first shown him that he just wants to show God love even more. Therefore, he continues to bow himself lower and lower and lower before God and continues to demonstrate more and more humility to those that God has put in his life. He never considers himself worthy of the things that God has given him and what God is doing in his life. So all of the blessings that God pours out upon him are so truly appreciated and they're never taken for granted. So meekness requires humility. So it starts off with flexibility to God's word. It requires humility. And third, meekness requires gentleness. Meekness requires gentleness. The gentle spirit, it really grows out of humility. The one who is meek will not speak harshly, and his mindset and attitude will not be domineering. He considers it a blessing when he has the opportunity to serve the Lord, even if what he's doing doesn't put him in the spotlight. He is more than pleased with being a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord where people are passing him by and passing him by and passing him by, never noticing what he's doing or that he's even there. He's perfectly content performing menial tasks for the household of faith, many which others would just turn their nose up to and look down upon. And as a result, the meek person is the type of person that you can approach 
It's a type of person that you can talk to, someone you'd feel comfortable going and sharing your prayer request with because you know that they're not going to look at you and at the problems that you're currently dealing with and treat you differently and look down upon you and think, well, I'm so glad I'm not dealing with the problem that this person's dealing with. You know they're not going to hold things against you and make you feel inferior to them because of the things that you're going through. The believer who is truly superior to others is the one who lowers himself to the level of the lowliest for the good of the rest. The greatest believer is the one who imitates his master the most, whose humility and gentleness is described for us in Philippians chapter 2, which I read in the morning. But listen to what it says in verses 6 and 7 in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, speaking of Christ and his humility. It says, Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. Now these verses describe just how Christ came to earth and he came as a lowly human being and the lowliest of the low. At Christmas time, we talk about how he entered humanity in the lowest possible way being born in a stable, being placed in a manger, I mean, with no one around, then the king of kings is literally born on earth, and there's not a soul but, but um, Joseph and Mary to see it. Christ demonstrated this humility, this gentleness, all throughout his earthly life, so much so that we even see little children being able to approach him and him not turning them away. He was humble and gentle to all those who came to him. So meekness requires gentleness, but notice fourth, meekness requires patience. Meekness requires patience. We're told in Matthew chapter 18 and verse number seven, Matthew 18 verse seven says, it must needs be that offenses come. It must needs be that offenses come. In other words, offenses are unavoidable. Inevitably, something will happen. Something will be said. Something will be given that will be taken offensively. And sometimes it's just a look. Someone will look at us and will take offense at how they looked at us. And often it's the the mind of the person who's doing the looking is thinking about something completely other than what you're thinking. But you take it as, well, that must have been insult. They they, they looked at me and then they talked to someone. They're, They're definitely talking about me. Meekness requires patience. The meek person doesn't grieve over instances when he is offended. He learns to forgive and he learns to move on. In fact, for some of these people, they can become so used to moving on from offenses that they don't even recognize it when people are actually trying to be offensive to them. Rather than looking for some hidden agenda or expecting everyone to be mean and nasty towards them, They think highly of everyone, and when something offensive is done or said in their direction, they consider it a mistake. Oh, you know, he didn't mean it. I heard what he said, but, you know, it must have just been a slip of the tongue, or, you know, they they, they chalk it off as if it wasn't really intentional. A meek person may be angry for a moment, which everyone gets angry, but they're always striving to be angry and sin not. While many people take out their anger and their frustration at others, the meek person will direct his anger and his frustration at the evil that was done and away from the person that has done the wrong. He does this because he's already forgiven the one that has committed the wrong against him. And he's ready to treat the person as if nothing was ever done at all. And some Christians can have such an angry spirit, so much so that we're almost looking for reasons to be upset with others. 
Everything that is said, as I mentioned, every look and even our general direction ends up being filtered through this lens of anger. Did you hear that? That comment, I'm sure, was directed at me. Did you see what he just did? He made a point to single me out. That person looked at me and then said something to the person sitting next to them. I'm sure that they're talking about me. I can assure you, when everything around you is filtered through the lens of anger, you can easily find reasons to be angry. It's not hard. Nine times out of ten, you're going to be completely wrong, though. But if you're looking for reasons to be angry, you can trick yourself into believing that your suspicions are true and that everyone is conspiring against you. Even if you think that this is not a big deal, I promise you, even the smallest pots will boil over. And I've seen it where believers have allowed their anger to boil over, and it's not pretty. It's never pretty. You never meant to hurt anyone. But once those words come out, they can never be unsaid. Once that action is done, it can never be undone. The smallest remark can do significant damage that can completely ruin your testimony. The meek, spirited believer can be naturally fiery and passionate, but God has given him grace enough to keep his temper under subjection. The meek person is required, meekness requires patience. Notice fifth, meekness requires forgiveness. Meekness requires forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is not something that comes naturally to any of us. Even if some of us are better at forgiving than others, it doesn't come naturally. We live in a world where people try to rob us of our rights and even do serious harm to us. And the meek person will go beyond bearing whatever comes his way, but freely forgiving the wrong that was done. That's not to say that the meek person is just a doormat and he's not going to fight for what is right, but he is quick to forgive when everyone else might refuse to forgive because in their minds, they don't deserve it after what they've done or said to me. The meek person is able to forgive because he recognizes that all the harm done to him was allowed by God into his life as a trial to strengthen and equip him for the future. When Jesus was upon the cross... You know, he was still praying for those who were presently mocking and ridiculing him. As he's literally stretched and nailed to that cross. In Luke 23, 34, it records the words of Jesus upon the cross. He says, Father, forgive them. And you can probably fill them the rest of the verse. For they know not what they do. He's literally giving his life for the same people that are there at the foot of the cross or there in the audience, mocking him, ridiculing him. And he is still praying for them. He's forgiven them. He could have spoken them all out of existence like that. He could have just willed it, and they would have vanished off the face of the earth, been dead, eternally doomed forever. Instead, he prayed for their forgiveness. Forgiveness is so unnatural to us because when we've been wronged or when someone we know has been wronged, we want to make a matter right. And that generally involves some sort of retaliation, which is a nice way of saying, we're going to get revenge. Listen to what we're told in Romans chapter 12 and verses 17 to 21. Romans 12, 17 to 21. The Bible says, recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, 
but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. The meek person will not think it necessary to avenge those that have wronged him because the meek person is content leaving the issue of vengeance to God. Meekness requires forgiveness. Notice sixth, meekness requires contentment. Meekness requires contentment. The meek person doesn't have his eyes set on getting more and getting more. He is content with what God has given him. He is content with where God has him. Sure, he's, he's going to have ups and downs in life, but he rejoices in knowing that his God is the God of the hills as well as the God of the valleys. If God's face is shining upon him, he cares not whether at that moment he's on top of the hill or he's in the depths of that valley. The meek person has a desire to use his God-given talents to be a blessing to anyone he can, but he is not anxious, he is not fretful, he is not stressed, he is calm and he is thankful. And when you put each of those six characteristics together that we've mentioned here thus far, that is when you see meekness, biblical meekness in your life. If you think you're meek, you're probably not. Because meek people always feel that they have so much farther to go before they truly are meek in the sight of God. Some of us have figured out how to remain good-tempered as long as we get our own way. But true meekness, which only comes through the grace of God, will stand against persecution, will endure opposition, will overcome cruelty and wrongdoing the same way that our Savior did upon the cross. So we've looked at who the meek are. And all of those six different qualities and aspects of what meekness requires fit into who the meek are. But secondly, I want you to notice how the meek inherit the earth because the second part of that verse says just that. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So how the meek inherit the earth. Now, inheriting the earth is seen in several ways. And I want you to notice first, the meek are seen as conquerors. They are conquerors. Now, not in the sense of going into battle and fighting in a war, but the meek believer is able to conquer much of the wickedness of this world through the grace that God has personally given him. There's a reason why Christ refers to believers as sheep and our enemies as wolves. Sheep don't stand a chance against the wolf, do they? If these two are going into battle, the sheep is doomed. The wolf is the aggressor. He's the threat. But we're not doing the fighting, are we? The Bible calls believers sheep. But none of us are doing the fighting. We have our good shepherd, John 10 tells us, who protects us from the wolves. Someone has said that the anvil stands still while the hammer beats upon it, but one anvil wears out many hammers. Think about that. The anvil stands still while the hammer beats upon it, but one anvil wears out many hammers. Many times we think that we need to fight back when people have wronged us. And I'm not going to say that there, there are definitely times when we need to stand up and fight. But it's often the case that victory will come not through fighting back, 
There is a righteous anger the Bible talks about. There's also a wicked anger. And too often we think we're responding righteously when in reality we're responding more with a wicked and a malicious anger. The meek person understands that being a conqueror doesn't always involve having to go into physical battle. Now Christ demonstrated that a cross was more powerful than a legion of angels. And when all earthly kingdoms are overthrown, which one will still be left standing? Help me out here. Which kingdom will left be standing once all of them are overthrown? God's kingdom. The kingdom on the left? Okay. God's kingdom, right? I hope I got that right. It was on the left, right? I don't know, whatever it was. God's kingdom is going to be left standing. Why? Because God wins. God wins. There are times where he needs to go into battle and there's a physical battle that we read about, but there are also times when the battles are not fought physically, but on a spiritual front. And this is often what we see with regards to meekness, knowing the difference when you need to go physically as opposed to when you need to allow the Lord to be the one who avenges the wrong that has been done. Notice second. The meek enjoy what they have. So the meek are conquerors, but secondly, the meek enjoy what they have. Now, Jesus taught in Luke chapter 12 and verse number 15. In Luke 12, verse 15, Jesus said, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. The meek person is content with what God has given him, and he finds enjoyment in all of it. There are plenty of wealthy people who are completely miserable. And there are equally as many poor people that are just as miserable. The meek person is thankful. He's content with anything that he has, rich or poor, because he knows that God has provided all that he needs. And that is what makes his life enjoyable. Now you may be thinking, well, that's not exactly inheriting the earth, is it? Because you would need to have everything if you're really inheriting the earth. Well, and that's where the meek person is different from the man who's always seeking to have more. You see, the meek person can look around at everything this world offers as if it is his. And he can do that because he knows that whatever he needs, his heavenly father owns it all. So it might as well all be his because his heavenly father owns it all. So not that he has to go and steal it all and say, well, this is mine and this is mine and this is mine. He's content with where he is, knowing that his heavenly father has ownership over every little thing in the world around him. And if there's something in that world that he needs, he knows it's his because his heavenly father is going to provide it for him. And praise the Lord that we can be meek with the things that we have. The truly meek person understands that if he's a child of God, which is a believer he is, he embraces the reality of Romans 8, 17, which says, and if children... If you're a child of God or you're a child of God, it says then you're heirs and you're heirs of God. It says and join heirs with Christ. You're in Matthew chapter 5. Turn one page over to Matthew chapter 6. And notice what Jesus taught in verses 31 to 34. Matthew 6, verses 31 to 34. He says, therefore, take no thought. He's talking more about worrying here. But notice what he says. He said, therefore, take no thought saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. 
You see, God knows everything, every little thing that you are in need of. And you know what? He owns it all. He owns it all. As a believer, you are an heir of God. You are a joint heir with the very Son of God. So you can walk around in confidence knowing that your Heavenly Father owns everything around you and will provide everything that you need. The meek enjoy what they have. Notice third, the meek are glad at what others have. The meek are glad at what others have. Now, this is difficult. I will admit that because we tend to be envious. We tend to be jealous, especially when it appears as if someone else is being favored more than us. When we hear of someone else's fortune while we're still struggling, we often wonder why they were favored of God and why we were not. The mindset of the meek person, though, is able to be glad that others are doing so well, even though his current situation is not doing that well at all. It brings him joy to know that others are happy. It's not a good sign when we get enjoyment out of the misfortune of others. And in those moments, we should realize how misguided our mindset truly is. True meekness is able to find enjoyment in the things that others have and how God is blessing them, even when we are lacking. And notice fourth, the meek are able to see the good in others. The meek are able to see the good in others. There are so many critical people in this world who look at almost everything with pessimism. No matter the circumstances, they never struggle to find something negative to focus on. Perhaps many people are this way because it's easier to point out all the bad due to how much there is. But let's not be so careless and ignore the beauty that God admires. When we're meek, we're readily and willing to see the excellence in others without focusing on the areas where other people are struggling. Oh, I enjoyed the message today, but did you notice how the pastor mispronounced that word? Man, I really got it stuck in my head and I couldn't get it out. He really butchered that word, didn't he? I, I, I probably do. I invent some words at times. I enjoyed listening to the special music, but did you notice how that wrong note was played? It would have been perfect, but... Hmm, down a notch in my book. If we're able to see the good in others, we'll be more apt to go through life thankful and be praising God for all the good that he has surrounded us with, even if it happens to be in other people. And notice fifth, the meek inherit God's promise. The meek inherit God's promise. Again, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Christ is speaking of believers in this context. And the idea is more than believers inheriting the earth, but it's inheriting God's promised land. And in God's eternal promised land, all will bow before Christ, the King of Kings, humbly. All will rejoice in communion with him and with each other. And here in the Beatitudes... Christ is giving us a glimpse of what heaven is going to be like. Heaven, as I mentioned this morning, is not going to be filled with prideful people. No one in heaven will be boasting about how good they were here on earth and how he was able to earn his way up into heaven. Heaven will be full of saints who recognize that Christ was everything to them and did everything for their salvation to be possible. Heaven will not be a place of selfishness or even self-glorification. So why not work on trying to eradicate these qualities in our lives now if that's what eternity is going to be like. 
No one wants to be around someone who is negative, who is critical, who is self-seeking, who is condescending, who is prideful. I, I don't like to be around people like that. When I'm that way, I, don't, I, I understand when no one wants to be around me. Meekness is definitely something we all need to work on. But remember, it's the third step in that ladder. Poor in spirit. They that mourn. And the meek. We can't get there without first going through those first steps. And I pray that by God's grace, we might be able to cleanse ourselves of all the evils that stand between us and true meekness so that we might be able to go where God wants us and walk in closer fellowship with him. If we're ever going to be truly meek, it'll only be through the help of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that as believers, as long as we shall live, that we would demonstrate that we're followers of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, with meekness and fear. Would you bow with me in prayer tonight? Lord, I thank you that we're able to come and discuss a topic, Lord, that is absolutely necessary today. Lord, you know I need it more than anyone else. And Lord, I pray that you would break me down of my pride. Lord, any thoughts of self-glorification, I pray that you would allow me to be a humble servant of yours. Lord, seeking to encourage and edify others and lift them up in the knowledge of your word. And Lord, I pray that this would be an infectious desire and quality that every one of us desire to be truly meek. Lord, understanding that it starts with trusting in you as our savior. Lord, going that first step, being poor in spirit, mourning over our spiritual condition and how empty and, and just useless we are on our own. And then Lord, submitting ourselves to be used according to your purposes, being content, being humble. Lord, and in all of these areas that we talked about here this evening, which demonstrate true meekness in your eyes. I thank you, Lord, for who you are and what you do for us. And I pray that you would strengthen us in this journey as we seek to be better examples of who our Savior was for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.